I'm all about that fuss-free glam. Give me makeup that's versatile and feels like air on my skin and has ingredients that love my face, that's good for my face. You know, clean ingredients. And don't even get me started on mascaras because I do want them bold and lengthening. <laughs> and so we have Thrive Cosmetics, which I've been using since 2020, obviously because I appreciate their foolproof products that make it really easy to apply for any skill level. And they have a full line of makeup to refresh your everyday look, but also they give back. Every product purchased, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive. Hence why it's Thrive Cosmetics, C a u s e medics thrive cosmetics and bigger than beauty skincare are not just makeup brands they're a whole vibe they're all about empowering us to rock our confidence and when you support them we are helping other communities thrive their stuff is not only easy to use but no nasties zero parabens sulfites phthalates they are 100 vegan and cruelty free let's talk lashes thanks to thrive's liquid lash extensions i must say that my lashes are just so beautiful and lush it adds lengths there are no clumps and also guess what it slides right off with warm water so no raccoon eyes here and i appreciate they have nourishing ingredients that support longer stronger and healthier looking lashes over time and it's a unique formula they use that creates these tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. We've had problems in the past with the link, but the link does work now. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com magic. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash magic for 10% off your first order. As someone who is so excited to garden this spring, yet really wants top quality soil, I'm really excited to introduce you to Coast of Maine, which is an esteemed brand renowned for its organic soil offerings. And if you're seeking to infuse your home environment with a nourishing essence that promotes flourishing plant life, you're going to want to listen to this because with over 28 years of expertise, Coast of Maine has meticulously crafted soils sourced from oceanic waters and farms certified for organic cultivation. It's so nice to find such a sustainable sustainable, eco-friendly brand who really emphasizes the importance of natural ingredients to enrich their soil. And I mean, they have, like I said, top quality with rigorous quality control and OMRI listed certification. Their diverse range of products caters to all gardening needs. Most of our soils may lack appropriate nutrients for success for our plants and our plants need this. We want to regenerate the healthy microbes in our soils to set up for gardening success and just for our plants to thrive. So if we add Coast of Maine products, this will indeed help. Whether you're planting trees or shrubs or perennials in your yard, adding Coast of Maine soil in your planting holes leads to a long, slow feeding of your plants, making them self-sufficient and vibrant, which we love. Let's say you want a vegetable garden, 
Not only will you receive abundant harvest, but there will be less feeding and maintenance throughout the season. Amazing. You know that everything grown in Coast of Maine soil is organic and safe for your family and friends right out of the garden. And then you get to also feel good about their sourcing as I'm so thankful they provide natural ingredients because they will never include household waste or biosolids. And we know that nothing nurtures the world above better than the soil below, cultivated from products and practices rooted in coast of Maine. And so they will continually perfect the art and science of sourcing, mixing, and composting products worthy of the people and the place that inspired their brand and the healthier world it was built to serve. Coast of Maine believes in nurturing relationships with local retailers. We love supporting local and the products are carried by local retail partners who can provide advice and insight not found in big box stores. So Coast of Maine knows from beginner to expert, anyone who takes a hand to the land has something to offer the growing community of gardeners everywhere. And their products make organic gardening simple and approachable so we can all garden. So let's get to growing. Visit coastofmaine.com to find a local retailer near you. That's Coast of Maine, like the state with an E, Coast of dot we need to get out of victimhood and realize that we have total control over this human experience if we can just realize that we have immense strength and immense power and the situations that come before you, the obstacles, whether it's with your parents, with your relationships, whatever it is, those are the exact obstacles you have to overcome to have the strength that you need to finally fulfill that dharma. Now let the magic begin. Soul Tribe, it's Raquel, and I thought <laughs> I'd like to share a very simple thought. I had this feeling that this very simple message, some of you may like to hear it, and this is just a very simple reminder that I need for myself, and it's truly the simplest thought. In fact, it's one word but very miss, miss, not, not misused, but very undervalued as a simple thought that many of us need to remember to practice. On my drive today, I was feeling very aligned and very happy in which that is the state that I'm sitting in right now. I'm actually quite elated <laughs> and I've really done nothing today. I mean, I did eat a delicious banana almond butter plant-based protein smoothie and then had, and I wrote a poem, but there's really no reason. I procrastinated editing this all day, <laughs> editing this episode and doing this intro because I just wanted to simmer in relishing in the day and taking it slow. I thought that it was going to be a day where I would run and do yoga and a long meditation and do a ton of work for the retreat. But no, I 
decided to just take it slow as I enjoyed the morning overlooking a breathtaking luscious view and relishing in the moments. Slow is the message and the word that I heard. So (laughs) yesterday I had some moments of uncertainty and doubt and sadness and weakness and introspective sabotage and (laughs) just not a good day even a nap with sleep paralysis that was fun (laughs) that and yeah i just had this expectation to get so much done like this episode and another run and a flow and finish up all the details on the yoga retreat well as much as possible and a long meditation but nope didn't go on a run, didn't flow, had a monkey mind meditation, and you know, I was just, I was not in a high vibe and state. And I took a nap, had a terrifying nap experience, woke up and just felt paralyzed to do anything the rest of the day. And when I journaled to ask, like, what in the world? Because a lot of things are going super well. I truly didn't understand why why I'm feeling this way, why I'm feeling this anxiety and sadness for no, I thought it was for no reason. And then I heard slow. (laughs) Something I know and something that it makes so much sense for me and on some days my soul prefers to be slow. And others, it likes to take action and be eventful. In fact, (laughs) I think that because I was taking so much action and just, as in just life action, I was exploring the world, moving from place to place to place. And when I had this opportunity to be slow and something that I know so well, I went to India for to practice the beauty of being slow. I wasn't. And so, so much started to stir up inside and I didn't understand why I was experiencing so much anxiety. Stuff was not aligning. So I thought, so I perceived, so I created the story that certain things were not aligning and I was having this bad day and an awful nap. But that brings me to today, a day where, yeah, a lot has changed in my life, but really nothing has changed at all. And these thoughts today and feelings today, when I embrace the slow, you know, these thoughts and feelings come from a good place. And it's interesting that they produce the same amount of frequency in the universe as the, as the thoughts that are not good. The universe doesn't really hear it as bad or good. They just, it is what it is. And yet I've created this belief that it's harder for me to get into this high energy state, this high vibing state, unless I use my tools like running yoga meditation and creating and singing gratitude from the top of a mountain, which I'm going to always do because I love that so much. But I also recognize that I have this other belief though I know it to not be true, that if I don't practice these things, if I don't stick to the tools, I know not to do it daily, but let's say I just don't do it for a long period of time, then I 
believe that I slip into this low energy state when I don't meet my expectations and I don't run, run, run and go, go, go and do, 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 but then, you know, have my meditations here and, and there, then I recognize a lot of anxiety pops up because I need a longer, slow moment at times and we all do. And if I don't, then I can easily just reflect on some of my doubts and just not see the beauty of what's before me. And this is something that I have to remind myself, though I've practiced this many times, or I've just lived it many times, it's just that's what it is. It's just being slow. And that if I completely abandon these practices, in truth, we, which I won't, but in truth, we don't need any of it. Yet yeah, it's up to us to welcome all of it if we'd like, but we don't need any of the rituals because whether we practice these things, do these things, you know, there, there are days where our soul just wants to take a breath, take it slow, turn off our phone. In fact, turn it all off and just be... And then perhaps that's enough. Just doing nothing is enough to raise our vibration. And then there are days where our soul wants to just experience the world and create and live and love and laugh with everybody. And I realize, you know, nonstop traveling for two months, in a sense, two years, and exploring every bit of the world I could when I finally came home and wanted to meet all the things on basically a to-do list, my soul was like, no, <laughs> no, no, and my soul wouldn't say it like that, but my soul did say slow. So perhaps this message resonates and, you know, perhaps it doesn't, but if for whatever reason right now you are experiencing a lot of anxiety and stress and sadness and self-doubt and uncertainty, well, <laughs> I encourage you to take tomorrow or the rest of the day as much as you can solo for your soul. Turn it all off. Look at your beautiful view or no view at all just stare at a wall and be <laughs> and trust that you are the tool you are you are the practice for allowing yourself to be in alignment because you really are enough and if the dogs in the background were distracting you at any time tell your soul that's okay that you're just listening to the voice and that's a part of a practice. I sometimes get interrupted by dogs in my meditation and it's okay. I just observe. Anyways, with all of this in mind, on your active days to make your soul sing, this someone may inspire that spark and excited energy, high vibe and energy, is today's beautiful guest who I, I truly love. I love her and feel like she'd be the most fun person in the world to have a girl date with especially if she cooks me anything from her new beautiful book, Eat Feel Fresh. But I am so pleased to have back on the podcast for a second time, Sahara Rose. 
And I just love Sahara's passion behind every single thing she talks about. She can just go on because she's so passionate and that fire is something that I admire in her. And in this episode, we take Ayurveda a step further. We talk about the importance of alkalinizing our body and her alkaline Ayurvedic diet and how she changed Ayurveda to fit our Western modern ways and the best way for vatas and pittas and kaphas, the best way for them to strengthen their intuitive eating and seed cycling to regulate our periods and balance our hormones. Oh, there's birds chirping at each other. That's a weird chirp. I haven't heard that. It's beautiful. I'm going to listen. Anyways, what each can do specifically to really listen to their hunger cues and her thoughts on dairy and eggs and her tridoshic recipe staples. And she also answered many of your cues and just so much more in this episode to relish in. And this one was very long. We talked for almost two hours, so I decided to divide it up into two. So expect part three tomorrow, Tuesday, since she's already had her part one. Anyways, there's so much, so much ancient and modern wisdom gold in this episode. And I know Sahara would love it if you messaged her as, as you listen along, message her to her Instagram at... I am Sahara Rose. Give her a little DM. I'm sure she'll probably open it up. And also listen to Sahara Rose's Highest Self podcast. And yeah, your soul will thank you. (laughs) And my soul is going to thank Yomi Review of the Week. My life needed this so bad. That's her title. Luna Girl 1326. I wonder what it is with those numbers for Luna Girl. Anyways, she said... I literally just started listening to podcasts this week, and when I found this one yesterday, it was just meant to be. Every episode I've listened to so far has resonated so deeply with me. I can't stop listening. Ah, Luna girl. (laughs) Thank you. That makes me so happy. Seriously, I get that way too with some podcasts, and I just binge listen on walks to to whatever podcast I am enjoying the most at the moment. And so it really, really makes me feel even more aligned and elated right now to know that this one does that for you. And it's reminding me to just focus on this one thing for people like you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And also tribe last but not least for my Yomi family who are dedicated to their self-expansion, want to enhance their talents or learn new ones to have the best lived human experience. If you haven't tried out or dipped your toes into Skillshare yet, it is time. So challenge yourself for the next two months to try Skillshare for only a small pocket price of 99 cents. Yep, 99 cents for two months. If you use our special link, skillshare.com forward slash magic. And this is truly a steal as you get access to over 20,000 brilliant courses from creative courses like illustration and photography and writing or business courses like branding and entrepreneurship and leadership or how to create viral content and culinary courses and health and wellness courses, just to name a few. 
Again, Skillshare is gifting you two months for 99 cents when you use our special link, skillshare.com forward slash magic. So take a peek at skillshare.com forward slash magic to start your two months today. Anyways, and now let the magic begin with Sahara Rose. right now i'm in palm desert cool there's a thing happening there this weekend the wellspring did you hear about that oh so wonderlust has made like a kind of like coachella for wellness called wellspring and it's a lot of different speakers yoga teachers that kind of stuff i think russell brand is the headline speaker no yeah. Why? Yeah, like <laughs> literally. Cancel my ticket. Where you are this weekend? No way. Yeah. I am. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I might have to rearrange my life. Uh, By the way, you were just on a solo trip in my old home in Kauai. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. I was. Um. I was staying in like kind of the south. Yeah. Um. But I did go up to the north to um. What's it called? like Queen's Bath and all oh, that. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. And Hanalei area. Yes. Yes. I know. I If oh. I had known how far – I thought the island was so small, like it would take me like <laughs> two seconds to drive up and down. If I had known, yeah. I would have definitely stayed up um, up north yeah. for sure. Oh, north is everything. That's where we lived. We lived two miles from the Nepali coast. Amazing. So, so it was beautiful. like very far end of the north, northwest. Oh my god, the Nepali coast! I did like the boat boat ride, romantic boat ride by myself, and it was amazing. That is amazing. I didn't even do that when I was there. Oh, it's so it's so stunning. You like lived it up. I'm like mighty impressed. I mean, it was like my book launch, and I'm like, okay, this is either going to be the most stressful thing ever, or I can get away from it all. And I decided to choose my story and get away from it all. You know what? I so honor that, and I would have done the same exact thing. Yeah, we get so caught up, and it's like at this point, like what? There's nothing else I can do. I've done everything I can do, so I might as well just sit back and you know let people take it from here. Hell yeah. It's all already like out of your hands. By the way, does my mic sound weird? Um, No, it sounds good. Okay, good. Because it sounds weird on my end. But that's amazing. Wow. And you didn't bring your fiance. Mm -mm. He works in the music industry, so he's always busy doing stuff. And I've learned through my whole life, but especially in relationships, like don't wait for the other person to start. Yes. Live for yourself, putting yourself first. Dude, you've got it all figured out. That's oh. so great. Trying. And also, what are his thoughts on the success of this book? Yeah, I mean, he's he met me before I had any book. So he's like, when we started dating, I lived with my grandparents in their extra room. And oh I was gosh. trying to write this book on Ayurveda, but I had never met an author. I didn't even know what the publishing process looked like, but... All I would do is just be like writing this book. So most people just thought I was crazy, you know, <laughs> like you're writing wow. a book before. Um, but he was like, oh, cool. Like when he first met me, he was like, what do you do? I'm like, oh, I'm writing a book. He's like, oh, cool. Like even though I didn't. Right. He didn't even think of it. Wait, so this was before The Idiot's Guide. 
It was before the idiot's guide. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. So like, and really like four, I was just thinking like four years ago at this time, by the way, are we recording the podcast right now? Yeah. Or? Yeah. Okay, might as well cool. get to know you some. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyways, for the listeners, just to see how much your life can change four years ago at this time was when I was going through the worst breakup. I had found out that the guy I was dating for four years and I was like living in India with his whole family um, had been cheating on me and that and then I had to come back. I was like in Bali and from going to the highest of highs in Bali where you're like eating green juice and ecstatic dancing yeah. and having so much fun to having to move back home with my parents because they were so angry with me to go to Bali and to try to make this Ayurveda book happen. And my, my relationship with them had deteriorated so much. Um, so I basically had to leave Bali, found that out, um, moved back home with my parents. They were forcing me to like get a job. So I'm like on these like job websites, like what the hell am I going to do? Like there's, all I want to do is talk about Ayurveda. Um, and at that point was when all of the healing techniques that I was learning for like other people, like I did a shamanic training and like a dance therapy training, like that was the time I had to do it for myself. And I remember just thinking like, okay, if I can just get outside and shake, like that's enough for today. Or if I can just get myself to oh pure bar, like that's enough for today. And I would just start crying all the time. Like a song would come on the radio and I would just break down and start crying. And this was like <sighs> four years ago right now. And I'm so grateful. And that was the time that really like the lowest of the low was I remember I was in my family's home where I had um, grown up in my playroom that had all my toys. And my I was having this massive fight with my parents because they were really fearful of me not being able to make enough money to survive. Um, and because in Bali, you don't really need that much money. So they were fighting with, and then they were fighting with each other. And I just remember my dad being like, you're a loser. You're a failure. You're the scum of the earth. I want nothing to do with you. And I had realized that I had been living my whole life for my parents' approval, like get a good grade, do this, do that. Like, mom, dad, are you proud of me? And at that moment, realizing that I'm pretty much dead to my parents is the moment that I became free. Because oh then I gosh. had no, no one to prove anything to. I At this point, I considered myself like an orphan. And how do I want to parent myself at this point? And I, at that time, I broke down on the floor, just convulsing, crying, looking at my toys. Like, what the fuck is this life? Like, I grew up. People told me to follow my dreams. And then I did it. And now I'm the scum of the earth. So... At that moment, I remember thinking, like, is there a God? Like, do you exist? Like, am I making this shit up? Like, is there a universe out there? And then I felt this feeling come over me of, like, numbness. And it just sort of made me, like, the closest word I can think of is, like, unfuckwithable. And it's just, you know what? You're never going to make them happy all you can do is live this life for yourself because you can try the rest of your life. You can become the real estate agent or the lawyer or whatever the fuck it is that they want. You're never going to make them happy. So screw it. Go do you. And this girl that I met in Bali was like, hey, do you want to lead a retreat with me in India? And the last thing I wanted to do was go back to India where I had just been living for two years with my ex (laughs) in this Indian family. Like That's the last thing. And I had just come back from India like to pick up my bag. 
And the last thing I want to do is to go back there. And with this fight with my family, if I'm like, oh, I'm actually going to go back and now start leading a retreat. Oh, plus I'm 23 years old. Um, So she told me, and at first my initial response is like, I can't do that. I never led a retreat before. And then I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Because if I can just get enough money to afford me a flight to India, I can just take off from there and I won't have to see anyone ever again. So I decided to say yes. And at that point, my parents were just like, you are crazy. Like you need mental help. And um, yeah. And they were just like, they were like, you're just beyond help at this point. They thought I was a mentally insane person for wanting to, to study healing and Ayurveda and like all of these things. Like for them, they have so, though they are immigrants, they have grown up idolizing the West. So for them, they're like a doctor is like an MD. Like, why don't you become an MD? So I... I became numb. Anything they said kind of just went through me and I just started to do all the healing work myself. And then I went back to India and I led that retreat and then I went to the Osho Center and I stayed there. And then I ended up staying there for a few months and I went to Costa Rica and I just lived my own life. And that is where I got the strength that I needed to be able to write this book and manage my business and do all the things I'm doing now. Oh, and now my parents are like bragging about me and like, oh, we're so I was about to say, there's no <laughs> way. <laughs> Look at you now. Little do you know. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. What a story and a message for everyone. All right, guys. This has been Sahara Rose. And what have a wonderful day. (laughs) Oh, my God. People don't see that. They just see, like, the book at Barnes & Nobles. And, wow, like, your life must be perfect. And it's like, I literally gave up everything in my life to make this book happen. Like, friendships, relationships, family. Like, I chose this over everything everything and it's so so it's not a coincidence I feel like people think certain people get lucky like people are like oh I don't live in LA like how am I gonna go on podcasts oh I don't do this I didn't live there I lived in fucking like suburbs of Boston and like moved with my grandparents just to like (laughs) hold on hold on I'm gonna your little buddy. Um, anyway, so a lot of people think that they don't live in LA. They don't live in a big city. They don't have the connections. And I didn't have any of those things either. I grew up in a suburb of Boston, like not knowing anyone who even is remotely interested in this kind of stuff. So yeah. I think that we need to get out of victimhood and realize that we have total control over this human experience if we can just realize that we have immense strength and immense power. and the situations that come before you, the obstacles, whether it's with your parents, with your relationships, whatever it is, those are the exact obstacles you have to overcome to have the strength that you need to finally fulfill that dharma. Oh my gosh. And no wonder you are creating your dharma with a story like that and people looking down on you for so long for your entire life. Like what a driver. And there are so many people that feel like they that is a huge block for them that they just can't look past. And you didn't even care that you were not in LA. I actually love that, by the way, because there is already everything in LA. But if people were to look at the space that they're in right now and bring their dharma, bring whatever they want to create to that space and then just expand it from there, everything will change. 
Of course. And, you know, we have incarnated at this time of the internet, which we have all consciously chosen. We've chosen to be the first to have this technology and it is for our disposal so we can use it Mm -hmm. to spread consciousness and to spread our messages and connect with people all around the world. You don't all have to move to another city. You can start exactly where you are and create really a movement from your phone. Everybody is creating something all over the world. It isn't in just one area or of entertainment these days. It's not one media space these days. Mm-hmm. It's so impo- important to take advantage of the tools that we've got. Yes, it is. Reason, but Sahara, oh, okay. Your book, Eat Feel Fresh, is seriously everything. I am. I am living for it. The aesthetics the information, the stories, the recipes, and just looking at you. My mom and I were like drooling. (laughs) The horror is beautiful. And this food is amazing. It's so so great. And (laughs) and I'm definitely making those chai pancakes now that I'm home and I have kitchen tools and not traveling. Yes, yes. Or that Shakti rose cardamom. I think I'll live for Mm. that too. Mm Mm-hmm. Anyways, I think that we shall dive into some Ayurvedic questions, which by the way, everyone should go back and also listen to part one because she really gets into it with the doshas and you can probably figure out which dosha you are by listening to it and all about Ayurveda. But do you mind, I, I always pronounce that wrong, by the way, Ayurveda, Ayurveda. Yes, of course. So Ayurveda is the world's oldest health system, and it's the sister science of yoga, and it is based on mind-body healing. So yoga really is a spiritual practice. Um, If you're going to a yoga class for your anxiety or for your backache or to get more flexible, actually, it's Ayurveda that you're practicing. So Ayurveda is anything in relation of healing the body and mind. Yoga is a connection to the soul, to yoke with Brahma, universal source consciousness. So Ayurveda was essentially the predecessor, and it said, well, how can you heal this physical vessel and this machine of the mind? It's not that you don't have individual minds. There is one mind, the mind. It's this operating machine that we all have, and that's why we all you know, have the same fears and anxieties. We think we're alone in that. It all operates the same way. But the difference, the essence that each of us has is is the soul. So Ayurveda teaches us how to balance the body and the mind so we can operate with the unique fabric of our soul. And our soul, we kind of chose these energies, these doshas before we came to this planet. And these doshas each have their own unique strengths and weaknesses. And you can see what your dosha is from looking at your physical body and just the way that you think. So you can listen to that episode. I have a quiz on my website. I'm saharos.com. I have quizzes in the book, but um, Vata is air energy. So it's very creative, eccentric. They think outside of the box, but the other side is they can get really anxious, insomnia, forgetful, spacey. And then in the body, excess air is the bloating, gas, cracking joints, constipation, uh, low or far spaced apart periods or no periods, um, dry, cold bodies, cracking, cracking skin, anything that reminds you of the air, that's vata. And then pitta is fire. So people who have a fiery personality, they are very determined, they're goal-oriented, they're ambitious, they know what they want, and they're going to go get it. But the other side of that is sometimes they 
can get really frustrated and irritated when things don't go their way. They're very structured people. They have like their plan and they need to stick to it. But life doesn't always let your plan go that way. And that's when the anger can come up. That fire can turn into a volcano. And then in the body, that also manifests as fire. So you feel hot all the time. Maybe you have irritations, inflammation, rosacea, hives, acidity, heartburn. Your heart is burning, acne. Um, These are all symptoms of excess fire. And in different cultures, like in Spanish, they always say, el tiene fuego, like he has fire. So it's not unique to Ayurveda and Chinese medicine. They look at warming and cooling. So it's looking at that in connection with the elements. And um, Chinese medicine is actually based off of Ayurveda. The Chinese scholars came to ancient Indian year 600 AD, started studying Ayurveda. And Chinese medicine is a little bit more for acute symptoms. Like if you have a certain problem, there are certain meridians and they work with that. Whereas Ayurveda is more of a lifestyle and more focused on uh, digestion and the mental components, self-care, like overall lifestyle. And then kapha is earth energy. So people who have really earthy minds, they are calm, patient, loving. This this podcast has a lot of kapha in it. <laughs> oh, it does. <laughs> uh, they really take their time with things. They enjoy life. They enjoy nature. Mm-hmm. But the opposite side of that is sometimes people with excess kapha, they can be really slow to change. They can put other people in front of themselves. They can be, you know, resistant to doing what they know they need to do, but can be difficult for them. So they can get just kind of stuck in the mud. And then physically, the excess earth in the body will lead to heaviness, feeling lethargic, slow metabolism, metabolism, slow digestion. Um, And then also in the throat chakra, mucus, phlegm, anything that's related to kind of stickiness, like mucus and phlegm in the body, that's always related to kapha. Because if you think of kapha, it's a it's a cool and damp energy. Um, So you see a lot of that. Um, Hypothyroidism, which is Hashimoto's, that is a symptom of excess kapha. So really just feeling sluggish and slow means there's too much. So we all have a unique combination of all three, um, but in varying amounts. And that is one part of Ayurveda, but it's not like some people get really, really stuck on that. And then they start to look at it from this like Western way of like, well, I'm Vata and I'm Pitta, like, or I don't know what I am. And, you know, these are guidelines. You're not only going to be one, you are all three, but in varying amounts. And if you just look at, okay, well then what are Pitta supposed to eat? I'm only going to eat those foods for the rest of my life. Like you're missing the point because Ayurveda is the knowledge of life. And these doshas change with the seasons. They change with the time of day. They change with your menstrual cycle. They're always changing. So really, when I wrote this book, when I wrote my first book, Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda, I saw everyone got so obsessed with just like only eating for the doshas. And I've lived with Ayurvedic doctors in India. And I would see that they would all eat the same meal. And I'm like, wait, isn't your kid kapha and your pitta and your vata? Like, isn't everyone going to have like their own meal and like, their own cubicle. Like that's what we do in America. <laughs> and and they were like, no, because that that's misses the point of the food. And it's not just what you eat, it's also how you eat and eating as a community. And that in itself is so healing. So I made this book to be tridoshic, meaning it works for all three doshas. And I did this by taking out 
the certain ingredients that can imbalance a certain dosha. So for vatas, that's the cold, raw, dry food. Like if you have a vata in your family, don't serve just kale salad for dinner. That's going to throw the vata out of balance. (laughs) Literally my night last night. Yeah. So that's not good for your vata. (laughs) And then for if you have a pitta in your family um, or some pitta in yourself, then you don't want to be eating spicy foods um, because that's going to, again, make you more hot or stuff that has too much tomato, garlic, onion, coffee. These foods are all going to throw your pitta out of bounds. So I took all those out of the book as well. And then for kapha, it is dairy products. The book is entirely plant-based and most Ayurvedic books are not. They contain a lot of dairy products. And we can talk about why I made that decision. But um, but kaffas need to stay away from dairy products, excess like carbs and starches, even excess fats, like a keto diet is not going to work for a kapha because it's too much fat and it's going to make them feel more sluggish and tired and dense. Um, So I took out the foods that would imbalance any specific dosha and I included recipes and ingredients from around the world because I don't think Ayurveda, again, is this one textbook, like you only can eat Indian food and that's it. Because then we're missing the point. Like this is the knowledge of life. This is a guideline to look at everything. And it's always changing. Ayurveda is different in North India, South India, East India, West India, like in Sri Lanka. It's different everywhere. So how can we just take one approach to Ayurveda and say, this is it? So I include ingredients from around the world from you know, chia seeds and spirulina and avocados and goji berries and these things that weren't available in ancient India, but are still amazing for our health. And just because, again, they didn't exist in northern India 5,000 years ago does not mean that they're not healthy and we can't follow them with today's guidelines. And that was one thing when I started to study Ayurveda, I was like, wait, so I have to eat kitchri like for the rest of my life? And they were like, yep, pretty much. And I'm just like, yeah. And I'm like, no, I, I I can't do this. Like I was just getting so sick of eating the same foods, but for them, that's like, that's just the foods that they eat. So, you know, in the Western world, we've gotten so used to like diversity of like different foods from like Vietnam and, and Mexico and all over the world. Whereas if you go to India, like they just eat Indian food and that's fine for them. Um, but I wanted to be able to eat foods from around the world. And I really looked at blue zones, areas with the world's longest lifespans that are centurions, people who live on average 100 years and more. And what are the things that they all have in common? And all of the things were Ayurvedic as well. The way that you eat your food, the tastes of the food, the qualities of the food, the way that they would set up their plate. So I included recipes from a lot of blue zones around the world, but everything is coming from that Ayurvedic approach. Blue zones. That's so interesting. I absolutely love that. And we do, we live in such a more evolved and progressive and very tech centric, like we talked about time. So we're very sedentary and the way you include the, what you include in these recipes, more focus on vegetables versus high starchy carbs where people back then that, you know, they, they, or even in other cultures where they're roaming around all day and they're more active, it makes sense for them to have more of high dense foods, whereas yours are still mm-hmm. so satisfying. And I can tell they're so high vibrational foods that are, are full of colors, but they're satisfying. And I appreciate that you are bringing that awareness to this day and age in this world. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think that's it's such an important conversation because if you look at 
what worked for them in ancient India. They were mostly farmers. They were working outside all day. They definitely did not have desk jobs. Mm-hmm. And if we ate, you know, the farmer's diet, which is like lots of just starches, that's going to be too much for us. Mm-hmm. So, and also we are exposed to toxins, to chemicals, to antibiotics. I mean, there's this big thing out there called Monsanto, which did not exist in ancient India. And that has radically shifted our food system. So it would be naive of us to pretend that that's not happening and just, you know, continue to stick to the textbook Ayurveda when we every day are bombarded really by um, chemicals and GMOs and things in our food system that we need to take an extra stance to further alkalize our body. Like 99% of Westerners have an acidic body. And that's now even in in India and in other parts of the world too, because of the industrialization of food. So I call it alkaline Ayurveda, because how can we include more of the greens, more of the high dense, nutrient dense foods into our diet? Because we can't just live off of rice and beans and, and have the alkalinity that we need to fight off diseases. Dear health fanatics who may like coffee, but are taking a break or still love their daily dose. Well, you may have heard of Four Sigmatic as they have truly created their own tribe of mushroom coffee lovers, myself included, for a good reason as all their coffees and matcha teas and delicious treats contain the power of shrooms mushrooms. So we can just cancel out those jitters while enhancing the health of our brain, our heart, immune system, our gut, and lower our stress levels, unlike coffee, and assist with weight loss in metabolizing our fatty compounds and a coffee that will actually help give us glowing skin. What? This is clearly the best coffee for those who are coffee drinkers and non-coffee drinkers as they have a lot of elixirs without coffee. So here's what your shroom day may look like. Wake up, have some cordyceps to fuel your energy for your workout, and then maybe later in the day when it's time for you to work or write, enjoy some lion's mane to keep you focused. And even Buddhist monks drink lion's mane to enhance their focus. And even when it's time to wind down, have their classic reishi elixir. Or if you want a good little dessert after dinner, hot cacao mushroom. Soul good. They also have new products coming out all the time. Four Sigmatic is continuing to gift the Soul Tribe a 15% discount. Just click on the link in the show notes or go to foursigmatic.com forward slash soul tribe. That's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C dot com forward slash soul tribe and enter the discount code soul tribe. S-O-U-L-T-R-I-B. One word, no spaces, soul tribe for 15% off your magical coffee and mushroom elixir order. Soul good. And one thing I want to emphasize is the importance of an alkaline diet and what you coined. I love the alkaline Ayurvedic diet. Do you mind expanding more on the importance of alkalinizing our body and how we can do this in a combination with the Ayurvedic lifestyle? Absolutely. Yeah. So there's kind of two sides of the spectrum. There's alkaline and acidic. So foods that are acidic create 
it doesn't mean like a lemon or apple cider vinegar, though that tastes acidic, but it's actually acid forming. So for example, meat is highly acidic, uh, wheat products, sugar. There are even some plant-based foods that are more on the acidic side, like nuts are slightly more acidic than they are alkaline. They're not, they're not all the way. So it's not that we're only going to eat alkalizing foods. It means that we need to have the correct pH balance. The thing is, most of us have grown up eating extremely acidic foods. You know, we ate Lunchables and Domino's pizza and all of these things. So most of us are already so far into the acidic that we need to really like make an effort to meet, eat more of these alkalizing foods. And that could look like, you know, just including more vegetables into your diet. In ancient Ayurveda, they did not have juicers. I don't think that that means green juice is unhealthy for you. Like that this is, again, is putting ourselves in that bubble. I'm all for the green juice, but the, the Ayurvedic green juice in my book has ginger and it has turmeric. So it's more warming for your digestive fire. So doing things that are very nutrient dense, including things like chlorella and spirulina, which are super, super alkalizing, these things can help shift it back into balance so you can be at the correct spectrum of alkaline and acidic. And you can still eat, you know, probably 20% of your diet would be more acidic forming foods, but choosing the nuts and the seeds. And if you choose to consume animal products, you can do that too, but being really mindful of where it comes from, where it's grown, um, how the animal was killed, because all of these things are going to very vast affect the energetic state of the foods you are eating. You know, if you eat a cow that was like ripped away from its mom the moment it's born and then lived its life in a cardboard box and then suddenly it's seeing its friends get slaughtered in front of it. And, it, and it, you know, we think that cows don't have emotions. They have just as many emotions as humans do. So they're feeling fear. They're feeling anger. They're feeling frustration. And from a scientific level. So from the Ayurvedic level, they would say that the fear and the anger that they're feeling at the moment of death, when they're killed, you're taking on that exact energy into your body when you consume it. And we are always essentially smelling our own sweat. So that that food particle is coming out of your pores and you are smelling it and that is altering your vibration and lowering it into a place of fear and sadness and um, anger. And from a scientific level, because with this book, I really, I studied sports nutrition. I really wanted to look at like, how does the science match up? And interestingly enough, when cows are killed, a mass amount of adrenaline moves through their system. And that's something that they can actually study. And so when you're consuming that cow that's been killed with the adrenaline through it, you're actually ingesting adrenaline, which is going to make you more angry and aggressive. (laughs) In ancient Ayurveda, when they said it makes you more rajasic, meaning creates more rage and anger in your body, that was actually the truth. And there are so many things like that I saw in Ayurveda that are like literally proven by science, but they just intuitively knew. They did. They intuitively knew most everything which because they were so connected and that, that's why it's so important to pay attention to this stuff and that makes a world of sense wow by the way 
this morning, my dad and I, we went on a hike and I was craving a green juice, like exactly like the one in your book, alkaline green juice with ginger. And he wanted a vegan donut. He craves, he's obsessed with Whole Foods vegan donuts. He craves them every single day. And I, but so I bought him a green juice to go with his vegan donut. I was like, you need to alkalinize your body. I'm interviewing Sahara today. And this is what she would say. <laughs> and so he had his green juice, but you know what? Yeah. And if he has it first, then he's going to be shifted to the spectrum of alkalinity and then he's, his body's actually going to reject the donut. So have him to Ah. drink the green juice first. He did it together. And I knew that that wasn't right, but you know what? I was like, at least you're getting something in. He was not going to not have that pumpkin vegan donut. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And Ayurveda, they look at your, your health and your cravings kind of like, um, like a pendulum. So Mm -hmm. on one side it's balance and the other side is imbalance. So the more you eat foods that knock you off balance, the more you crave those foods, right? Um, So for example, like for the pitta, they probably love spicy foods. And then the more they eat them, then they want something that's spicier, spicier, and spicier. And actually, scientifically, they've done studies, and you can Google this, that people who love spicy foods are mildly sadistic. Because when you eat spicy foods, what you're actually doing is emitting pain in your body. There's no taste. Spice is not a taste. It is a sensation, the sensation of pain. So the reason why people like it is because in a way they're enjoying the pain. (laughs) So for them, it's almost like this challenge like their food versus them and then the fact that they're like i'm gonna get you taco i'm gonna get you chili and they're winning like it makes them actually feel kind of proud on a psychological level so the more you do that the more you kind of want to like get into this little street fight with your food but when you switch away from that and you stop eating the spicy foods you will see very very quickly you become extremely sensitive to those spices which is why in a, a yogic diet, you do not eat anything that is spicy. You still have spices, like cumin and um, coriander, et cetera, but you wouldn't do like chilies and peppers because you are becoming so much more sensitive to energy. And when you eat something that's spicy, it's very gross. It's very over-the-top energy. So it's going to make you less sensitive to the subtle vibrations. So um, the more imbalanced you are, the more you crave foods that bring you out of balance. But then if you shift that pendulums towards balance, then you're going to suddenly realize you're rejecting the foods that you once craved. And then for others, perhaps the kaffas, it's sweets right? Mm-hmm. Comfort foods. Yeah. Because that's what kapha wants. It wants to feel comfortable. It wants to feel warm. It wants to feel snuggly. So having some mac and cheese with some delicious bread and some desserts, like that that sounds really good. And sometimes that can be medicine, especially if you're, you know, going through something like you can have, like food doesn't have to 100% only be for nutrients and that's it. Food can also be for pleasure and enjoyment, but it the problem comes when you are masking your food for really looking into whatever emotion is you're trying to bypass. And that's what coffees can do. Sometimes they're like, oh my God, like life's really overwhelming. So let me just eat some more comfort foods. And that makes me feel really soft and safe and, and also creates a barrier of protection around my body. A lot of times when um, people are overweight and you look at what happened in their earlier life, it's oftentimes related to trauma, especially sexual trauma. And that's connected to 
feeling unsafe in your body. So you're literally trying to create a shield around yourself. Wow, that's so interesting. In fact, I want to actually dive into each dosha and how they can eat more intuitively and where their blocks usually come from. So like cough, as you said, they end up having, they usually have a slow digestion and they feel full and sluggish. And so they're probably disconnected from their hunger cues of their inner guidance especially when they want to eat more and they just slow down more and they're not as active. So what are some ways that kaphas can make sure to unblock and hear their hunger cues to eat more intuitively? Yeah. So kaphas actually feel the least hungry of all of the doshas. Mm. People think like, oh, if you're overweight, you must be eating a lot. And that's not the truth at all. Um, They actually tend to not eat the whole day and then like come home and eat a lot at once. They're eating for emotional reasons. So for them, they need to kind of sit face to face with like, what is this emotion that I'm trying to bypass right now? So maybe, you know, I say you're are you hungry or are you flabby? Flabby is an acronym that stands for you're experiencing fear, um, loneliness, anger, boredom, because it's there or why not? So ask yourself, are you eating for any of those reasons? And if you are like, oh, like it's just there, I might as well. Oh, someone brought it. It's really rude if I don't eat. Oh, well, it's dinner. Even though I'm not hungry, I should just eat to make other people around me happy because then you are kind of not honoring yourself and you're not honoring what your body really wants. So they need to look at what is the emotion behind the food and definitely to get more in touch with their hunger cues because maybe if they were like eating before, eating meals that were like healthy and balanced, then they wouldn't come home and like ravish the fridge because when you're doing that, it's because you feel so empty. You feel like your cup is like totally poured into everyone else's and there's nothing left for you. You're giving out so much energy that you feel like you need to take in more energy. And then when you take in all the energy via food, that energy gets stored somatically on your body. And that is what makes you more heavy, more dense, more tired. And coughs tend to gain weight in the hips, the thighs, the legs, the lower body, because it's anchoring them further into earth. So even the places that we gain weight are telling us about our dosha. I have something for you. If you haven't already taken advantage of Skillshare yet, I don't know what you're doing. It's just two months for 99 cents. So I challenge you for the next two months to dive in and learn something new and expand your knowledge and skill sets in many creative business and other lifestyle endeavors. Me, I am taking courses in entrepreneurship and actually productivity now because sometimes I can be a little floaty and I just, I want to be able to have a good system to expand and leverage your own magic. So for those of us that love business, it's for you. For those of us that are very creative, this is for you. For those of us interested in culinary and health and fitness and so much more, this is for you. Skillshare is seriously so fitting for your own magic as they can really help us unleash our own magic and nourish our own skills by deepening ones that exist or learning new skills that have been hidden within from creative writing masterclasses, photography, so we can take insta-worthy pictures of our friends or the travels that we see, and even entrepreneurship courses. They have over 20,000 courses to choose from for just shy of a dollar for two months. Seriously, this is such a steal. So just go to 
skillshare.com forward slash magic and of course make sure you follow the link to get that deal again it's skillshare.com forward slash magic to start your two months today that's skillshare.com forward slash magic That is so interesting. And if they eat all day, they or if they don't eat all day, they do need to eat something at night. But if they sit in that emotion before they even eat the food to figure out what is the emotion behind the food, then they're less likely to binge. But I, I mean, I've been there before and I know that when I'm not in that state of mind and it's more I'm not in touch with my God self and I would sit there, how would one be able to get into that mindset when they know that they are really about to binge and overeat? Because that's the big part is to recognize and actually consciously sit there and sit in that emotion, but you don't really want to do it at that moment in that time. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it comes from the sacred pause because when you can just take that pause, pause. the sacred pause, because that pause allows, you know, the idea to come through. And if you're like, for example, let's say I'm working, I'm writing. That's normally when my body's like, you really need some chocolate right now. And it's not that I need chocolate. It's that I want a break. And my body knows the only way I'm going to take that break is if it triggers hunger cues for chocolate because then I'll get up and go get the chocolate and at least it like feels like a minor break even though then I'll tend to bring the chocolate back to my laptop and keep working so then I'm like I need more chocolate I need more chocolate now I need this I need that because what I really needed was the break so in that moment noticing okay I really want chocolate right now what if I let me lie down on the floor for 10 minutes. If I can lie down on the floor for 10 minutes and after I still need the chocolate, then I'll eat the chocolate. But let's see if that helps. And most of the time, once I lie down, I don't even want the chocolate anymore. I just needed a break. So if you can just get yourself to even just wait, say, I'm going to do something else for 10 minutes. If I still want it after, I'll eat it. Most of the time, it won't happen. And then maybe it will, maybe after I will eat the chocolate, but it's probably not going to be the whole bar. And it would have been if I had brought it to my laptop. Uh, That is brilliant. And the sacred pause, by the way, is also a good message for vatas, right? Because they also forget to eat often during the day, then they tend to overeat at night, which I've also been there and they often suffer from eating disorders. (laughs) Um, So definitely. Yeah. Because they want to feel light. And what that is, is you need to ground down and vatas don't want to. They want to feel like I'm so connected to source. I'm like non-existent anymore. It's so sad. I get messages every day from people. How can I be more vata? I'm a pitta or I'm a kapha, but I want to be a vata because our society has like idolized the vata, tall, skinny, lanky body type. And it's so sad to even have like a trend of a body type. In India, everyone wants to marry a kapha. In American culture, it's all about the pitta. So it's so weird how we like idolize different doshas in different times of history. But with the vata, which a lot, the vata is the dosha that most health conscious young women have out of balance because of the diet, because of the culture. And that's why these juice cleanses and detoxes and fasting and like more ways to be obsessed with what you eat. So with the vata, it's very much a you want to be disconnected. You want to be not grounded. With the pitta, it's more of an orthorexia. Like, okay, let me analyze everything I'm going to eat. Let me count my macros. Let me weigh my food. Mm, yeah. Let me go to 
every nutritionist I can think of, think of like, what's the healthiest? And like, they become so obsessed. They're eating, but it's like super orthorexic. Whereas the more of the anorexia is the vata and then more of the binging is kapha. Interesting. Okay. Wow. And pittas, by the way, they also are sensitive to toxicity, you said, which is huge because this can cause so much disharmony from within the body, um, which may lead to definitely not intuitively eating, especially if, like you said, they are seeking outside information to find out the right macros to eat or the right calories to eat or one of those apps that probably calculate an apple calories. I don't know, but they probably go to those sources and then they might experience those toxic emotions like jealousy and even hatred for their body. So is there anything that they can do to listen more to their body and not seek outside sources so much? Yeah. So pittas really need to just go with the flow. And for them, their mantra is truly to trust and surrender. Pittas want to control everything in their lives. And they, that, you know, how you eat is how you do everything. So they, that, obsession translates into their food. And since they're hypersensitive to things, that makes them even more obsessed. Because most of the time they had, you know, like rosacea and rashes and like irritations and heartburn and all of these things. So then they micro into what is it that I'm going to eat? And then that perpetuates the obsession, which is what is creating the heat and the duality in their mind. This is a good food. This is a bad food. I can't eat this. I can't eat this. That's, you know, pittas naturally are kind of black and white thinkers and they need to move away from holistic thinking. So to realize that any food can be medicine and can be poison. It just depends on the mindset you eat it with. You can be drinking all of the kale smoothies in the world, but if your mind is toxic, you are creating a more toxic state mm-hmm. in your body. Amen to that. That's why some people that aren't so heavily informed yet they're thriving and so active and so healthy and physically fit, but they kind of eat whatever they want because they they don't really know. It's interesting. Like they don't have that emotional attachment. Some people do it, gain weight. Some people seem to be fine with it. It's so interesting how the mind has such an influence on it, how we react to the food we eat. Yeah. The guilt that you have around it will actually make you gain more weight. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Also, another thing that I really want to touch on is seed cycling. Mm -hmm. This is totally changing the page, but I'm really curious. What is seed cycling? Yeah. So seed cycling is something that I really want to throw in the book, um, even though it's not like so much of a traditional Ayurvedic thing, but I'm like, the editor's like, are you sure? I'm like, no, this needs to be in the book. It's like a little part in there, but it's great. Yeah. um, Because it's been really helpful for me in my own process of like healing my period. So for a lot of us, um, a lot of people, especially with the Vata imbalance, you tend to lose your period. So for me, I didn't get my period for two years. And doctors were like, you know, just get back on birth control pills or, you know, like, don't worry about it. And the thing is, if you're not getting your period, you're not ovulating, which means that you're not fertile. So that to me was kind of like the hit of like, I really need to change my diet because at this point, what like the doctors are basically like, you can get IVF and like in vitro when the day comes that you want to get pregnant. And I was like, what? So like from now on, I'm just an infertile person. So I looked into many ways to holistically heal the body and to allow your period to come back naturally. 
And I started to look a lot deeper into just our menstrual cycle. And, you know, for most of us, we don't really look into into our period. We don't really know when we're ovulating and when we're not. Um, for us, it's just like, okay, you got your period, just like shove a tampon in there and like forget about it. And the thing is, we're constantly going through different cycles in our menstrual system. So seed cycling is a practice that you can do to regulate your period and balance female hormones. And even if you are getting your period, this can still help, but it's very efficient if you are having like irregular or far spaced apart or no periods to get your system back. So essentially you will use different seeds at different parts of your cycle to help. Um, each seed has this particular benefit to it in different parts of your cycle. So for example, in the follicular phase, which is um, the day one, the start of your period until ovulation, you can eat a tablespoon of freshly ground flax seeds and pumpkin seeds daily. Then from the ovulation day 15 to whenever you menstruate, that could be day 28, 32, whatever, then you do a tablespoon of raw sunflower seeds and sesame seeds daily. So this is really helpful if you have PCOS, um, if you have fibroids, anything like that. It just naturally allows your hormones to self-regulate. Wow, that is so brilliant. Okay, I'm going to apply this. And a girl, I see Emma Rose Wall, she asked about that. So Emma, I hope that answers your question. She also wrote that were her two favorite podcasts. Thank you, Emma. <laughs> and yeah, for, for people who want to know where it is, it's the page 35 of the book, Eat Feel Fresh. They can find it there. Perfect. In the chakra section. And then yes. um, this is kind of a similar question, but just to piggyback off of this, Helena asks, could you maybe talk about the con contraceptive pill and whether it has a positive or negative effect on our Ayurvedic type? I'm not too sure of the right terms here, but I hope you know what I mean. Sorry if you have already spoken about this. I will be re-listening anyway. Okay. So, no, we didn't speak about contraceptive pill. Yeah. So, you know, I was on birth control for like two years. And I was on the lowest estrogen one. I thought it was fine. The doctors told me to get on it, a gynecologist. And my period started to get like more like scanty, scanty, scanty. And then eventually it stopped. And they were like, oh, well, it's fine because when you're on the pill, you're not actually getting a period. So that believing that you're getting is not a period. When you're on the pill, your body thinks it is pregnant. Okay. So those days that you're on the like sugar pills, the pills that don't have the estrogen in them, you're actually just having withdrawal bleeding because finally your uterus lining can shed. So you're not really getting your period. So if you're not getting your period, that means you're not ovulating. Now, this is so fascinating to me. I'm all, I love learning about relationships and what makes people attracted to one another. And I started to read about this thing the study they were calling birth control the divorce pill. Have you heard of this, Raquel? No. What? Wow. So they were calling birth control the divorce pill. And that is because when people were on birth, so people would be on birth control as most, I think like 80% of American women are on no. birth control. It's crazy. Oh my gosh. Just, oh mm -hmm. no. I don't know why. I just yeah. started tearing our, do up. our doctors, <laughs> literally, because our doctors are, a lot of them are paid by these companies to give it to you. Um, and then a lot of them just think it's safer for you to just not get pregnant because yeah. it's a, such a fear. It's like you, pregnancy can fall out of the sky and hit you on the head. Like that's not how the body works. So, um, so these women were on birth control. They would meet men that they were attracted to, and then they would get married. And then when it was time they wanted to have a kid, they'd get off the pill. And then suddenly they were repulsed by their husbands. 
And this is not one, this is thousands upon thousands of women to the point that this is like Google the divorce pill. So they were like, what is, what is happening? And these women are like, I don't know. I just can't stand the way he smells. Like just something about him is disgusting to me. And they would get divorced. And the reason why is because of our biology. It's because when you are when you are on the pill, your body thinks it's pregnant. So it is attracted to people with the same immune system types as you. The more similar the immune system, that means it's like your family. So it's attracted to that and attracted in like a cuddly, I love you family way. But when you are not on the pill and you ovulate, which is your peak point of fertility, you are attracted to someone with the opposite immune system as you. Because if you and that person co-create a baby, it's going to have the strongest likelihood of survival. So that is why it is very important to meet your spouse when you're not on birth control pill so you can let your body chemistry talk to each other. And that's why certain people, they may have every box ticked, but something about them is just rubbing you the wrong way and other people you're like you are weird and you are not my type but i'm coming to dig it yeah (laughs) and that's because you guys have opposite immune systems (laughs) wow i am i am truly mind blown right now wow yeah so we need to ovulate when you are ovulating you are more attractive science has found that the size of your pores changes, the size of your, the glimmer in your eyes and the size of your eyes change, your lips become fuller. You actually radiate pheromones that are attracting the opposite sex. They've done studies on, um, women sweating. Okay. They'd have different like women sweat on shirts and the same woman sweat on the same shirt at different times of her menstrual cycle. And they would have different men smell it and be like, like, how attracted are you to this? And like, to the T, when a woman is ovulating, all of the men are more attracted to that smell. And when she is actually menstruating, they're not attracted to wow. that smell. So when we are ovulating, we because our bodies are at the peak for, point of fertility, so we are more attractive. So why is this important? This is important because our bodies were designed to ovulate. Imagine you are living your peak fertility years with your body thinking that is it in pregnancy. That's very detrimental to your health and you're not really getting a period. And it's masking irregularities. If you have PCOS, it's not giving you a real period. It's just putting a Band-Aid on it and you're still going to have to deal with that. If you have fibroids, if you have amenorrhea, if you have any kind of issue, you need to get to the root of that issue, which you can holistically through your diet and through your lifestyle. Hypothalamic amenorrhea, which is when you don't get your period, that's a vata imbalance. PCOS, that's a pitta imbalance. Fibroids, heavy period, that's a kapha imbalance. So you can even look at your menstrual cycle, the different stages of your menstrual cycle. When you're on your period, it's a kapha phase. You need to chill, take it easy. When you're ovulating, it's a, it's a very pitta stage. You're in your summer, you're out there getting stuff done, that's your time to really like be active. The in-betweens, the luteal and follicular phase, these are vata stages. So this is something that I'm really passionate about because traditionally in Ayurveda, Ayurveda is always taught by men. Like I don't even know another female Ayurveda author. So they don't talk about this stuff. And men are operating with the circadian rhythm. Men are the same. At 4 p.m. every day, they are the same. We are not the same at 4 p.m. every day. So for us, we need to, we can't just operate with the sun and, and, you know, what's happening in the day. We operate with the moon. We operate with the lunar cycle. So the only way that you can get in touch with your natural rhythm is to get off this pill. What I use is called for fertility all doshas, awareness by the method. Because people are talking, she was talking all about doshas, the All doshas, all people. 
all vaginas <laughs> get off the pill. So um, I use fertility awareness method. There's a great book with that title on it. And it's basically to track your um, cycles. So you can get um, a thermometer, a thermometer that has two decimal points after the decimal point. Um, and you take your temperature every day. There are thermometers like the Daisy that track it for you, or you could just do it yourself and, and write it down. Um, but you could track your temperature every day. And from doing that, you're going to see when you're ovulating and when you're not. So during the window of ovulation and a few days before and a few days after, have protected sex. Um, but when you're actually on your period or you're not ovulating, it's actually impossible for you to get pregnant. Again, you should really be tracking your period for a few months to be able to really tell um, how your cycle is moving and why things like the daisy are effective is because it's doing it for you. Because if you don't know what you're doing, I would not recommend this. Um, and even the daisy app, they put, and I don't work for them. I just use it, but <laughs> they should they, um, right. Um, but they like put your menstrual cycle with like other women's menstrual cycles and compare it. But if you just get the book fertility awareness method, it just okay. teaches you a lot more about your cycle. And then you can see, like, we grew up thinking like, oh my God, if you have sex, you can just like suddenly get pregnant. And it's not the case. I'm going to put that in the show notes, fertility awareness method. Good to know. Thank you so much for all this. That is every, I needed to hear all of that. And I'm sure that a lot of the listeners did too. So thank you so much. Wow. 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 And you're truly passionate about it. In fact, everything you talk about, I know that you also have to reiterate because you get interviewed and also you write about it and you talk about it on your podcast, but everything you talk about, you talk about with such passion, even though you are, have said it a million times. So I just want to honor that in you. It's just the pitta in me. It's the pitta <laughs> in you. I love it. Everyone wants to know. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, you know, when you're on your dharma, you're tapped into an infinite source of energy. And I'm just honored to have the space to share. You're a force. When you're working with your dharma, you're a force and it just happens. Oh, so much ancient and modern wisdom in one episode so for more sahara listen to the next part tomorrow because trust me you are not gonna want to miss it so let the magic be continued